Hey, welcome back to the podcast. This week, we're telling part one of the story of Swissair 111. Thanks for listening. And then one, two, three, that. What? Let's see here. Getting the mic where I want to be. Let's see if. We'll see if the cat allows me to do this Ooh. in peace. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for everybody who was so sweet about the cat. Yeah. Um, he is alive, and his name is Nando, after one of our heroic Uruguayan yeah. rugby players who survived in the Andes. And little Nando is also surviving Parvo. He survived Parvo. Yeah. And he survived before he even went to the... SPCA in the first place, he uh his like one of his legs was like rotting off and he He's a survivor. He's okay. He is, yeah. He's our little guy. It's beautiful. Um today we're gonna do part one of uh two ports two part story on uh Swiss Air one eleven. A lot of you are gonna know this story. Um we're going back to September second of nineteen ninety eight. Uh Wonderful year in the world. Yeah. Um, and uh, we are flying a MD-11. So McDonald's, McDonnell Douglas 11. Um, this is a very cool plane. I really like McDonnell Douglas planes. They're super loud and it's a thing. But yeah. um, it was cool planes. It's got three engines, which we love. Yeah. And uh, the one that we're flying today is seven years old. So the same age as me yeah. <laughs> at this time <laughs> so me and this plane were were born the same year and uh perfect we're, the flight seats or the plane seats like around 241 people and today we've got uh 215 passengers so pretty full with uh 14 crew and uh we're flying from jfk new york to geneva switzerland uh, this is one of those flights that gets called like a UN flight because it travels between, you know, like major, well, obviously the UN in right. uh, New York and then the UN um, base, I guess, in Geneva. So mm-hmm. it's one of those, you know, cool planes full of cool people who do interesting things. Yeah. Um, the uh, leader of um, the World Health Organization's uh, like AIDS program is actually on board this flight, and uh, so is his wife, who's like a leading AIDS researcher. So, yeah, that's like one example. There's like a yeah. bunch of people, but yeah. And uh, our captain on this plane today, uh, his name is Urs. So U R S, Urs, Urs. I'm gonna say Urs. I don't know if that's right, but that's what we're going with. Okay. And uh, Urs is uh 50. He's been with uh, Swiss Air for a long time before he worked for Swiss Air. He was a fighter pilot in the Swiss military. So was our first officer. He's uh, 36. Also was a uh, fighter pilot for the Swiss Army. Mm. I, I, you know, Switzerland maintains their neutrality by being extreme badasses, right? right. Like that's kind of the, you <laughs> know, the so... Yeah. Yeah, that's how they they stay neutral by 
by being, you know, the like fuck around and find out country. Exactly. And uh, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, this uh, these are our boys, but both of them just excellent pilots. So both of them, um, Urs is a training pilot for the MD-11, the exact plane we're flying right now. Stefan is a tr- instructor pilot for the MD-80. So like these are like supremely skilled, talented, experienced pilots. And by all accounts, both of them are great. Um, nice people, uh, precise Swiss, uh, Swiss air, like puts like a really strong emphasis on like being by the book. And this is in 1998 when maybe, maybe other parts of the world were still a little bit more loosey goosey. So (laughs) it, uh, it stands out like they're, they're, they're like, um, how can I say this? They, they're one of those airlines that like helps set the standard for, like precision excellence um yeah we are leaving new york at 8 p.m tonight and we're gonna arrive tomorrow morning in switzerland it's about a seven hour flight so not too long and this plane besides being you know lots of cool stuff going on with this plane but it's actually the first class cabin and the business class cabin have TVs. So Ooh. this was, yeah, this is like hot stuff Fancy in for 1998. 1998. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, and the TVs, like they have um, like movies and TV shows and stuff like that. They have games. Uh, somehow it has the internet, which what? blows my mind. Yeah, I, I sincerely, like, actually don't know but how like they what? would provide internet. <laughs> like, government websites? Like, what? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the internet was... Google, I guess? I don't know. I, but it was also, like, unbelievably slow. So <laughs> right? slow. Like, but it's not... I, I, I would love somebody tell me how, like, just literally how they yeah. had internet. Because... Like and for no what? I want to know why they needed internet. <laughs> I don't know what were they doing yeah. on the internet in 1998 in an airplane. Nothing, not a thing. But how? How? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like because there's no right. landline there's, for your right. dial-up. I truly don't know. I don't know how the internet works. I don't right now. So I have no yeah. idea how Wi-Fi works. Right? No. 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 It's made up. It doesn't work. It just doesn't. It's just a collective delusion. But. So uh, there's gambling on it too, which, uh, you know, and the entertainment system. Yeah. Yeah. Of course you can like, you can load one page of Neopets or whatever (laughs) (laughs) and, um, you can gamble your children's college fund because you're Swiss and your kids, the college is going to be free anyway. So whatever. One way ticket, please. Right. (laughs) So, um, so those things are like, that's they were added so when the plane was built in 1991 definitely wasn't built with that so they were added just like this year it's like a new thing that swiss air is doing they're like installing it onto their aircraft there was like a hot second on this plane the plan was obviously to put it in first and business at the same time but somehow the first class ones got like messed up and so there were like the screens were in business class and not in first class for like four months. Good. I don't know. But this was still at a time where people would be like, 
oh, I don't like go on the internet. Like I'm right, not right. Like that fad That's is fair. not for me. I'm a dignified person. Like I don't go <laughs> I on the read internet. Books. Right. I read books. So anyway, so we're flying um from good old JFK to Geneva. They took off at a quarter after eight and uh everything's good. Everything's going, rolling. Um they the route that they take, so like flights that leave from New York or Boston or anywhere in that area, Toronto, will go like up and over, right? So they're going to go mm. up and kind of like trace along like along the um, easternmost edge of Canada and like over like Iceland, Greenland, like that. So they're going up and over, not straight across like the middle of the ocean. So they're on their way. They take off and everything's rolling. They're flying over you know, over Boston, over mm. Maine, over Canada. So um, about 50 minutes into the flight, right, they, they reach their cruising altitude, which on this flight is going to be 36,000 feet. So they set the, the autopilot on. Stefan is flying. They're at their cruising altitude. They're going to be there in six hours. No problem. And uh, they like, like smell something, and uh, Stefan and Orz are looking at each other and like, do you smell something? They're like, yeah, I do. I smell something, and um, they they can smell like that little something smoky, and uh, the smell kind of just stays there. It doesn't get worse. It just hangs out. And a few minutes later, Orz looks and sees that there's like little wisps coming out of the air conditioning vent that's kind of behind and above them in the cockpit. And as we know, AC units on planes can produce like a visible vapor um, that's totally harmless and it's nothing but that the smell, they can smell it too. And uh, Boers took the controls and Stefan got up to just like inspect, like see what the vapor is to look at it but by the time he stands up the the little wisps have already dissipated the smell is still there but the the actual wisps are gone Mm. he sits down and uh they're both like i don't know i don't know i don't know what it is so Urs calls one of the flight attendants to come into the cockpit and they ask her like do you smell anything like do you smell that and she's like yeah i do i do smell that and they said, did you smell it like before you came into the cockpit? Like, is it in the cabin? And she was like, no, definitely not. hundred percent. No, I didn't smell it until I came in here. Yeah. And they're like, no, nah, I don't like this. But like, I mean, Ugh. now it's gone. It's just the smell. They think that it seems like it's just the air conditioning. Air conditioning is weird like that. Yeah. They uh, pull out. They've on their screens. So again, this is like a modern aircraft and it has the computer screen. And so it has like an air conditioning unit page. So you can look like check on the air conditioning system. Mm. And so they boop boop to that and that it's just like everything's good. There's like no alerts. Nothing's not working. It looks totally fine. They feel cool. Like it's fine. Nothing. They're like, okay, I don't know. It's weird. 
Um, they're preparing to like head out over, like they're getting into that the part of of that like easternmost edge of Canada where it starts to like break up, like the land underneath them is going to start to break up, and they're going to be flying like over the ocean sometimes, over land sometimes. They're getting ready for that, and they that smell comes back. That smell comes back, and they they can see that vapor and it's more than it was and it seems like it smells like smoke smells like smoke and they're both like no like no i'm not flying out over the ocean with this weird smoke and this weird smell no so they're like not not gonna risk it not gonna do it so they call the mockton um mockton new brunswick in canada um air traffic controller at around 10 10 p.m and they say, pan, 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 we've got some smoke in the cockpit and, you know, we want to land at like the nearest convenient airport, maybe Boston, Boston, would that be right? So pan, pan, for anyone who doesn't know, is like one step below declaring an emergency, one step below Mayday. Pan, pan is like, we urgently need your help. Mm. Like something is not quite right, not an emergency. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so they make the pan pan call to the Mockton air traffic controller. And in Mockton, like they're not, they're not going to mess around, right? They, the, the, it's the pilot's judgment call, wh- what they say. If they say like, hey, something's weird, we're going to land. If they say pan pan, if they say mayday, like whatever, that's up to the pilots. But the air traffic controllers, are going to take it seriously no matter what, right? Like, they're, they, the pilot needs help urgently. That's good enough for me. They're not going to really treat it like, oh, that's no big deal, right? Right, right. Um, And there's two air traffic controllers working in Mockton, and they're, you know, like, jumping to help them. They grab their supervisor. Obviously, the air traffic controllers who work in that area are more familiar with the airports in that area than these pilots right of course because they when they fly to north america they're going to the airports that swiss air flies to the closest of which would be boston Mm -hmm. but the air traffic controllers who are you know sitting there in canada know that halifax has like a good size airport good size runway and that that's way closer than boston they see that boston is 300 miles away And Halifax is only 66. So they call back and they're like, hey, would you like, it's up to you. Wherever you want to go, go. Would you like Halifax? Halifax is only 66 miles away, like much closer. And uh, they, so here's the thing. They've never flown into Halifax. Swiss Air doesn't fly to Halifax. You know what I mean? Um, That's not an airport they're familiar with. But it is closer, and Stefan, that smoke is is still there. And Stefan, again, these people are are by the book, and yeah. they care about your safety, and they care about their own safety. And Stefan says, like, uh, hey, like we should put our oxygen masks on. And so he, like, they both uh, Orz agrees, and so they put their oxygen masks on. Now, when they put their oxygen masks on, obviously that's great because they can breathe easily. It. It's just, it's over their mouth and nose. So it is harder to hear them on the radio. So they put that on and they're like thinking about it. 
And they're like, yeah, let's we want to get down as fast as possible. Halifax, let's do it. Now, it's good that Halifax is closer. It's good. They want to land the plane safely as soon as possible. The issue is obviously that they're at 36,000 feet and the plane, the airport is 66 miles away and they have to like do all these checklists, right? They have to do all the checklists for the smoke. They have to do all the checklists for landing. They have to do all the checklists for like the pan pan. Like they just have, they've got a big workload, a lot to do. And there's only two of them in this plane. This isn't an aircraft that has uh, a flight engineer. So like, okay, yeah, it's Halifax. So they, they, an airport that they're not familiar with, they don't have the charts handy for that. So they have to like, they've got a big, big old bag of charts. And those charts are for like every conceivable airport that they could possibly interact with. And they'll have to get that. They'll have to familiarize themselves, whatever. But it's the closer airport. And at the end of the day, they want to get the plane on the ground. That's what they're going. Um, A British Airways pilot is in the area flying around with them. And he can hear this. He knows, Pan Pan, that's not good news. That's not what you want, right? And he knows that British Airways pilot knows how heavy their workload is going to be if they have to get from way up there down to the ground in Halifax in like a really short distance right and the British Airways pilot actually calls them and says like hey if you want I've got the weather for Halifax I can give you that information so you don't have to wait for it and you can like listen to it while you're doing all this other stuff very nice so they yeah thanks and so they take the weather info from the British Airways pilot he's giving them that information um they're like descending 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 they have to it's it's too great of a distance they're not going to be able to fly all the way from 36,000 feet all the way down to the ground in only 66 miles it's too fast right like the the speed will will be too great right so they're descending quickly um they get handed over to the Halifax air traffic controller uh, and his name is Bill, and we like Bill. Um, they are talking to Bill, and their workload is super high. They're going through the emergency checklists. They're um, they need to get up and get those stupid maps. They have to like the the box of of maps is all behind them in that box, and they can't reach it from where they are. So they have to get up and get that. But they're like. Stefan is flying. Stefan is working the radio. Or is yeah. going through all the checklists by himself and doing all of that. They're hustling and like the speed is picking up as they're descending. And Urs notices like, Stefan, my guy, like I want to get there too, but you're going like straight up too fast. Like you're going right. over speed. Like the plane that's it's dangerous, right? You don't want the plane to break apart. Plus, they're full of fuel. They're heavy because they just took off for a seven hour flight an hour ago. They've, so they're heavy and they're going too fast because they're trying to descend and get down. So Oars uh, is like, yep, you're right. I'm going too fast. So they put the air brakes on to try to slow the plane down as they're descending. Oars calls a flight attendant and the flight attendant comes in and he's like, hey, I'm sorry. Can you hand me the box of maps? Because like I like I just. I'm doing like 50 things here, right? Like so, and she gives it to him and he tells them that um, like, hey, can you listen? Like we're going to make uh, a landing, a diversion to Halifax. Can you please prepare the cabin for landing? Because we're, we're going to be on the ground pretty quick. We're trying to get down as fast as we can. The flight attendant can smell the smoke 
and they say that that's why they're landing but they're not they're not like it's not an emergency they're not making an emergency landing they're just going to get the plane plane down as quick as they can because it, they don't like it like it's not it's not good it's not what they want so now they have their charts. Thank you, flight attendant. The flight attendant goes back and they start to, you know, tell the passengers, you know, we're making a diversion to Halifax. You know, we're just going to take all of your trays. They're 50 minutes in. My guess is that they were doing meal service um, or oh, already right. had done the meal service. So now they got to like pick all of that up. And, you know, people can't be like reclining and laying down. You know, they're, it's a lot for the flight attendants too to like switch gears that quickly. Uh, they're descending, 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 and, um, they, like, Bill asks them, like, do you want vectors to the runway right now? And Stefan, again, is flying and talking on the radio. He's got the autopilot to help him, but it's still a lot. Um, Stefan says, yeah, like, give me the vectors to the runway. And as it is, just the shape of, like, the, the layout of the Halifax runway, they're, it's basically just straight from where they are to the runway that they're going toward. Mm-hmm. And that's good, right? It's convenient. But again, they're just too high. They're just not going to be able to go from where they are in the sky to there on the ground, like fast enough to, to get down on the ground just flying straight, if that makes sense. They also, again, are full. They got to dump fuel. The they've got their big bag of charts. They're talking about it. Um, Bill calls them and says, you know, like I I'm, you know, like you got all the time you need. But like whenever you can, uh, can we have the fuel and your souls on board? And they do tell them like, yeah, just a minute, Bill, <laughs> you know, which is totally yeah. fine. The the, you know, air traffic controllers know that they've got like a heavy workload. There's no smoke in the cabin there's no smoke in the cabin at all there's just like some of that like hazy wispy smoke in the in the cockpit where they are that's that's the only location of it and it just feels like you know again do we have time we can't land like right this second because we've got to get down like and if we try to either go so fast down like if we try to descend so quickly that we actually get to the runway now then we're in danger especially if we don't dump fuel like then we're overweight and overspeed the plane could could break apart on landing right and we're it this isn't good we want to get on the ground but there's no smoke at all in the cabin like Let's dump the fuel. That's what the checklist says. That's what seems it's judgment call. And that's the judgment call they make. And they tell Bill, like, we need to dump the fuel. You tell us where to go so we can dump the fuel and we'll use that time to descend at a safe speed and then we'll land. Right. The idea is that they'll be on the ground this whole time that they're making this decision. Port Orders is like going through like click clack click clack going through like all of these checklists and he goes through the entire like smoke in the air air conditioning checklist and nothing's improved so he gets through the first checklist and it's still the same the smoke has not decreased yeah. the smell is still there um bill turns them south 
to dump fuel out over the ocean so then they can come back and land in Halifax. Um, since the like smoke coming from the air conditioner checklist didn't produce any results, the next checklist that's relevant is the smoke of unknown origin checklist, which is so creepy i like hate the name i mean that's yeah, yeah it's clear right. but they have to go through that checklist so they start to work through that one and one of the line items on that checklist is to turn off all of the electricity going to the cabin so they click off all the electricity that going to the cabin and everything shuts off totally black totally dark Except those screens, like the the entertainment systems in oh. business and first class that were just put in less than a year ago, those, when they were wired in, weren't wired to the main supply for the cabin electricity. They were wired to the cockpit electricity. Oh, that's so scary. yeah. So and the and the pilots don't know. The pilots don't know that. That's not part of training like the electrical right. system of the recently added it's just they don't know that they think all the electricity is off now because they turned it off but those screens are still on and still operating they click that off they also as part of that same thing where you're basically trying to isolate potential sources of ignition right that's the idea with that you're going through and just any place where smoke could be ignited where fire could be ignited you're just turning it off so another line on that is to turn off the recirculation fans that recirculate air through the cabin they click that off and when they click that off the smoke starts to like come heavier and heavier through that vent above them and starts to pour into the cockpit so now the smoke is getting like thicker and thicker and thicker and thicker and they can see that that's happening and can you, I mean, they can breathe fine because they've got the oxygen on, but your eyes, right? Like just the sting of in your eyes of the, the smoke. The reason it's increasing is because that the recirculation fan, the recirculation fan was pulling the smoke into the like attic of the of the aircraft and when they turned it off and the smoke could just move freely it started to pour down into the cockpit so now it's getting smokier and smokier and smokier they still haven't started to dump fuel they're just heading out to sea to be able to start to dump fuel as the smoke is increasing, Stefan, not even on purpose, but he's starting to uh, like fly faster. He just wants to let's get this done. Right. He's flying faster and he realizes that he's going over speed again. And he asks or is like, hey, uh, I am going too fast, but can I keep going too fast? And Urs is like, honestly, like I'm doing all these checklists, like trust your judgment. If you feel like it's safe, go for it. And so he Stefan, yeah, he's going to fly faster. So trusting his own judgment, he continues to fly too fast. The autopilot disconnects. The The system that is controlling the autopilot, it's not something that, that, that ORS turned off. It disconnects on its own. They get the like burr, burr, and the uh, 
clicks off. Now Stefan's workload has increased even more and all of the screens in front of them click off and they only have the just the manual instruments, the like little tiny instruments. And so you're having to squint at these like tiny instruments through the smoke while your eyes are watering and stinging. And Stefan calls the air traffic controller and asks like, hey, like I'm having to fly this manually. So is it okay for me to fly between 9,000 feet and 11,000 feet? Basically, can he have like a wider berth because he can't, there's not a computer uh, controlling his uh, keeping his altitude level and bill says like honestly you can go anywhere between 5,000 feet and 12,000 feet you can have a wide berth like you you declare pan pan like you're gonna get on the ground you've got the band you've got what you need fire bursts Ugh. through the circuit board behind them Fire bursts out, and both pilots hit the radio at the same time to declare an emergency. They both hit it, and they're not saying exactly the same thing, so they're stepping on each other, right? So the the message doesn't come through clearly to Bill at all, but they're in this smoke-filled cockpit, and fire has just started to lap away. This fire has been eating away at the controls more and more and more. They didn't even know it was there. There is no fire and almost no smoke in the cabin at this point still, so it's just the cockpit. Bill, they stepped on each other, so he didn't get the message, so he totally misses when they tell him, like, we need to land immediately, like, we have fire in the cockpit, mayday. He doesn't get any of that because they were both transmitting at the same time. It just sounds like gibberish. The computers fail. They're, they call back again and tell Bill, like, the last thing he knew, they were trying to, like, fly out to sea so that they could dump fuel. But they, that's done. Nobody cares about dumping fuel anymore. They've got fire inside the plane. Right. He didn't, Bill didn't hear that. They call him back and say like, hey, like we're declaring an emergency. We have fire in the cockpit. But they don't repeat the part where they say like we have to get down to the ground as fast as possible. And so for Bill, it's just like it's an increase, right? Like the severity is greater. But again, the last thing he heard was that they wanted to dump fuel. And that is for safety. It's not just like an extra thing you can do if you feel like. Right. It's just now fire Fire now is more urgent than right, maybe right. breaking up on impact, as serious as that would be. The fire eats through the transponder connections, so the plane blips off Bill's screen. They're still in the air, and they're still talking to him. It hasn't destroyed the radio yet, but... It eats, keeps eating, eating, eating through everything, burning up more and more and more of the plane, more and more and more of the cockpit. It cuts off the radio. They're completely alone. No one can see or hear them. They can't hear anybody. They've got no communication. At some point, Captain Orr's gets up out of his seat to fight the fire. He uses the uh, fire extinguisher and eventually at some point starts to use the the checklist book that he has in his hands and is trying to smack some of the fire out just so they can get down. Mm. 
the the cockpit voice recorder cuts off because the fire ate through the recording equipment. And for six minutes, for six minutes after the recording stopped, they were still in the air. God. For six minutes, Stefan is flying around looking. There's like no equipment, no nothing. He's just searching for the airport, trying to see something. It's dark out. They're out over the ocean on the coast. Orr's never made it back to his seat. The plane hit the water at 350 Gs of force and exploded into two million pieces. Everyone was killed instantly. Wow. (sighs) Next week, like, in the or the next in part two, we'll talk about the investigation, and the recovery effort. Um, but I, I've I've put this one off for a long time because yeah. I hate hate it. Hate stories with fire in general, but I hate this one in particular. But I. There's six minutes where we don't know a lot about what happened because everything had disconnected. The flight data recorder wasn't disconnected a lot or wasn't wasn't burned through. The flight data recorder um, is like the CVR for the plane kind of. It's all of the data, all of the inputs, all of the information that the pilots are getting and all of the data, the inputs that they're putting into the plane. And that, it's not like 100% accurate because obviously some of the data points that the plane would record, the systems that would report that were not functioning correctly anymore, not functioning at all. Mm. But a minute before the plane hit the water, a minute before, so five minutes after the the CVR stopped recording their voices. Stefan was still putting, still doing stuff. He was still trying. He was still flying the plane. He was still like actively the, um, it, it seems like he probably got a false reading that the number two engine was on fire and he like shut it off. Oh. And so he was responding, he was getting, he was, Orr's never made it back to his seat, and because he was up trying to fight the fire so that Stefan could keep flying, like, I don't know, that's why I don't want to never tell it, because I just feel like, oh my gosh, they fought so hard, they fought right. so hard in such a desperate 
desperate, desperate situation. Ugh. Ugh. I'm going to say this because I, I also, so Bill, the poor air traffic controller oh, listening to this. Ugh. Bill, you know, he, when the transponder cut off and when the radio cut off, he obviously had like rescue crews out there. Like he yeah. did what he could. But I guess, I mean, a spoiler for the next episode of the show, I guess, but it's not a spoiler because it's a thing that happened, right? But, um, so there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot of different pieces to this, but if they had immediately, immediately from the second they smelled smoke, tried to get down onto the ground, they wouldn't have made it to the airport. And I feel like that needs to be said because I, there's more, we'll talk obviously more about it, but like Bill, I mean, they didn't know that for years. It took a very long time to find that out. Right. Mm. So Bill didn't know if there's like anything he could have done, anything he could have said if he had her, hadn't missed, you know, cause during the investigation, he realized that they had told him we need to come back immediately, but they, it, he hadn't heard it. He'd missed the, the, Jeez. call and it wasn't it was years later throughout the course of the investigation that he found out that um that it wouldn't have made any difference right. which isn't for the passengers i mean and so one of the passengers was a um pilot himself and that passenger had his life vest on. And some of the passengers around him, who were seated around him, had their life vests on too. Oh. It's been really hard to find out exactly what the passengers like were experiencing because the fire was in the cockpit, which yeah. that's, I, that's the most horrifying thing I can imagine. God, like yeah. being in the if you were in row like 35 or whatever and everything seems totally normal where you are there was um this is so horrible but like the heat was so intense that it like melted the aluminum Oof, and it like melted the aluminum and some of that aluminum was melted in some of the first class seats so it seems like it seems likely that the um the passengers in the front of the cab the cabin would have like moved back or right the flight attendants the flight attendant at least the head flight attendant who would have been all the way at the front of the plane didn't have his um life vest on and it's not known if that was because he, the smoke wasn't as like, he, he knew about the smoke long before, like if he just didn't know, right? Like if he didn't know that, like if you think about it from the perspective of like the passengers, they yeah. don't even know about the smoke in the first place. Right. So suddenly smelling smoke would be a huge escalation Ooh, yeah. having the lights turn off and all of that. Or if the pilot who was in the cabin the passenger who was a pilot if he 
like was telling everyone around him to put their life vests on oh, because yeah. he knew something was wrong. Ugh. And I mean, ugh. Horrible. It just like I, we were talking a little bit earlier about another plane crash that happened like this weekend mm. in mm-hmm. Nepal and there's actually video of from somebody who was inside the plane and I didn't realize that that was the video and because uh, like one of my friends and I were talking about it at work and I was like clicking through and then she had sent me the that that video um, and I didn't it I don't know it was just like so jarring like I wasn't expecting to see that and yeah. it just reminds me of this like it's just like fire and you know screaming and that oh. kind of thing like it's horrifying oh. and it's I can't imagine being alone for six minutes of that like you know obviously right. it's not it, that is like sheer panic that is a long time to be in a state of panic oh and what I think about is like we don't know I mean we'll talk about it more next week but it was um I'm going to say this. I'll say it now because I don't know if everyone's going to want to listen to it. I'll try to remember to say it at the beginning of the other episode. But um, there was the recovery effort of the two million pieces of this plane. But it was also the recovery effort of like bodies and people's bodies were mostly like so destroyed. Yeah. And the people who were tasked with collecting and um organizing and like dna testing all of those bodies like i've when i i knew when i did this story i would want to make sure that i talked about that at length because that effort was so extreme so extreme to try to get as much of people's loved ones back to them as they could but I say that because we don't know, we we do not know what physical pain Ors or Stefan endured while they were alive mm. because it was not. Yeah, it wasn't recorded. Possible. Right? To, it well, and it it wasn't possible to determine from what was recovered of their bodies. Oh wow. And so we don't know, but one thing I've thought about is, like, for Stefan, if Stefan, like, didn't even think that, didn't even think that he was going to live, but just, but if he knew, like, the cabin was. Mm, right. Oh. Yeah. Well, and I think in those situations, too, I would imagine that at, at a certain point when you are facing inevitable death, that you just. I I mean, you either like completely freeze and you just accept it and, you know, that's it. Or in this type of situation, you're going to do everything you possibly can to make sure every everybody else is safe. Like when you've accepted right. that for yourself. Right. And I mean, or as we know, did that because he... um like I said, he didn't make it back to his seat. Right, right. And 
there's another thing with the timing that um so their oxygen supply that the pilots have that allowed them to keep breathing through this the oxygen supply wasn't ever breached by the fire um obviously if the fire did eat into their oxygen supply that would have dramatically intensified the fire and would have yeah eliminated and eliminated any ability to keep fighting um but it was extremely close to breaching the their oxygen supply so even if Stefan had managed to keep the plane airborne for longer it there was no there was nothing that could have saved them yeah and that's I don't know. It's one of those things that's, it's horrible. It's horrible. There is nothing about that that is good. It is just, just horrible. But there, but for Bill, I'm glad that he knows that there isn't anything he could have done for the air traffic controllers in Mockton. I'm glad that there's, they don't, you know, have to live with thinking they could have done something differently. Right. Right. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think that the transcript would have been horrific. Oh my god! I yeah no. I, but I. Ugh, ugh. It's right, so... like it. It would be nice to have that information for a it lot of different so reasons, far. but it would be horrifying to consume on any level. Like. When I think about pilots who um, think about pilots who um, like say things to their loved ones, um, and I don't know, like if you loved, if those pilots were like your father, brother, husband, like whatever, like if. I don't know, but but they did what we know from the incredible efforts of the people we'll talk about next time who went to really extreme lengths to recover every, like, scrap of this plane and, like, every person, um, we know that, like, they did fight unbelievably hard under Mm. like truly the most horrific imaginable because you think about just your human instinct like your human instinct if you know that the fire and that hasn't reached the cabin i mean i can imagine like another person in that position running out of the cockpit just your human instinct to like get away from fire yeah you know and they fought until the very last second. Mm. Goodness. <sighs> but that is um that is part one of Swiss Air one eleven. Okay. Yeah. Goodness. Yeah. I know it's not like a maybe there's less like fun chatter on this one, but um Yeah. That's okay. Do you we can save it for next week? Yeah, I invite you to uh, 
if you have a fact? Um, yeah, I'll do a short. I had a fact. Um, I was asking Ty uh, what um, our fact should said mm. has been um uh not pigeonholing uh the hell's rabbit hole god my brain mm. he's like falling okay. into the walking dead rabbit hole again uh oh. so he's been mm. watching it um, mm -hmm. really you know like studying it and um mm -hmm. he wants everybody to know that walking dead was shot on 66 or 16 millimeter film for 10 seasons, which is actually really impressive considering that, I mean, it's still, A, it's going, and the 10th season was, like, not that long ago. Like, I don't know, five, ten, Wait, five to what? ten years ago? What? That Wait, walking, I don't understand anything that the, you just said. The Walking that Dead. That show is still on the air? Yeah. The Walking Dead. Walking Dead is still on the air. Yes, and it was shot on 16 millimeter film for the first 10 seasons. I know that the fact isn't that The Walking Dead is still on, no. but that is shocking to me. Yes. Like, that doesn't seem real at Same. all. Same. No. Same. It's not on the air anymore. You are mistaken. It is 100%. It went off the it's air. in its final season. No, it went Can off the air even? in, like, 2015. No, I don't believe you. <laughs> I think that you are mistaken. <laughs> I think it went off the air in, like, 2014 or something. Like 2023, baby. Still going strong. That. No, I think it's that's their last made up, season this, but this uh, year. Okay, not true. But <laughs> what does it mean? What does it mean that it was shot on sixteen? What oh, does just it mean? that it was shot on film versus being shot digitally. It's like very oh, like rare film, that film. things are yeah still shot on film. That's cool. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's a cool. Brian always really likes things that are shot on film. The yeah, look of it, he really likes. Tie. Just the feel. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's like, can you it's tell less, it's like, you can make fewer mistakes, essentially. Yeah. You know, it's, you don't have like infinite. Yeah. Just, I don't yeah. know. Not that it's That's better. Cool. I don't, I'm, I'm not like a purist and like film is better. Um, I just think it's cool. Like, you know, this is the shot you got it or yeah. you didn't, you know? Yeah. No, I think that is cool. <laughs> I think that is cool. It takes a lot of trust in your like actors and stuff too. Like everybody. Yeah. Like you have to really trust your crew to right. um to be able to do that. Do they um can you tell the difference like personally? I can. Um like I I mean I, I wouldn't say it's instant, but it's like if I'm watching something, I'm like, I think this was shot on film. And then mm -hmm. usually it's mm -hmm. it's been shot on film. Cool. Yeah. But I like the um what is that movie? Is it The Lighthouse? That's like, is that what it's called? That's black and white yes, and shot yeah. on like, in, in like the square, yeah, like film. Yeah, I, we yeah. didn't see that. Maybe tied it. I did not it's, see that. It is, um, uh, guys, tell us <laughs> if you think Mariah should watch The Lighthouse or if that's even the name of the movie. Yeah, but, but you all know what we're talking um, about. Yeah, it is with um. The vampire guy and yeah, Robert, um, Robert and yes, and then um, Green Goblin. Oh yeah, I don't know his name. I will never know his name. His name's Green Goblin. Yeah, um, exactly. Spider Man One. Yeah, yeah. Um. Okay. This the is dad. just how the dad. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Osborne, Mr. Osborne. Yeah. Yeah, The Lighthouse is the name of it. It is um it is a good movie. But it's pretty It's like an experience. I don't I know see. how else okay. to put it. Is it gory? It's an experience. Um yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, Although I don't yeah. know if I can trust your gore meter anymore because there were certain aspects of that priest show that were pretty gory. Oh yeah, but I just closed my eyes, so <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> so I don't know. I just like closed my eyes. Like how? Like yeah, like, no, it's, it's totally fine. Yeah. It's not gory at all. I didn't see it, but I I must have closed my eyes, and yeah, that's yeah. why. Because I do not like anything gory, yeah. and so maybe it. That's how, like, Inglorious Bastards is my favorite movie, but <laughs> yes. I close my eyes through, like, let's say 25% of it. Yeah. Of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I really just fast forward and watch all of the scenes with, um, with Shoshana and, um, yeah. the Nazi. So I, I skip a lot of <laughs> scenes when That's I rewatch That's the best it. way entire, to rewatch movies, though. You just skip the entire movie. It's, it's literally on YouTube. Somebody uploaded it to you, yeah. YouTube and it's just on there. Like, just i guess tarantino didn't catch him yet or whatever so i don't know it's on there guys enjoy but and then just close your eyes about 25 percent of the time yeah. and uh then it's just uh it's a great movie, movie. yeah not yeah, gory yeah, yeah. At all. yeah no it's not gory <laughs> nothing's gory if you close your eyes so um but yeah i do not like that kind of stuff yeah but the um midnight mass i really like midnight mass yes yeah that's i love that i love it a lot yeah but uh a lot a lot happening yeah but the cat i mean maybe you guys heard the cat purring when he came in <laughs> but i wasn't so paying good. enough attention to him yeah and so he left so that brian could pay attention to him <laughs> he's a smart kitty so, yeah send us pictures of your cats yeah and we'll post pictures. Now we both have cats. We can send pictures of our cats, Mariah. Yes, we can. Very good. <laughs> Very good. I know you said right from the get that you were pretty beat. So I love you I so, am. so much. I, I you. hope you rest well. Thank you. I love you. We love all of you. Yes. Thank you for do. being wonderful. And uh, come back for part two. Yes. Bye. Love you. Love you. Bye, Mariah. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Pod Crashed. We so hope you enjoyed it. If we got anything wrong or there's anything that you want to let us know or talk to us about, you can find us on Instagram and TikTok. You can also email us at thepodcrashed at gmail.com. Uh, thank you all so much for being so kind and so sweet uh, while we've been uh, taking care of our little gatito and uh Thank you for uh, being patient. The uh, part two will be out next week in a better world. I would have liked to have released them both at the same time, um, but I guess that's not this world. So uh, thank you again, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening.